Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod. Another week in the Escape Pod, floating in space, and we have our co-host with us today, Blake. Uh, just the two of us chatting about a few Star Wars subjects that we need to get caught up on. Uh, one being uh, books that we've been talking about reviewing for way too long now, and only just finally getting around to it. Uh, that would be Star Wars The Higher Public, Fallen Star, the final capstone novel to the first phase of the Higher Public Initiative. And uh, we're going to be explaining that and talking about it, and uh, it will be spoiler-centric, but for those of you who don't plan to read it, it's going to be fine. It might even be useful to hear about what's going on in the High Republic, uh, thanks to a certain new video game that just came out, which is Jedi Survivor, which we're also going to talk about spoiler-free uh, Jedi Survivor initial thoughts and the new Orbit Key Retro Collection. So, let's get into it. That, everybody, is the sound of the Starlight Beacon Star Wars Lo-Fi that you can find on Star Wars YouTube channel. And uh, welcome back, sir. Hello there. Yes, good to be back, as always. A, another fun, exciting experience here. Talk about Star Wars here while we're trapped, floating through space in the skate pod, winning to be saved. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this this music, honestly, yeah, it's kind of nice ambiance that we could actually... You know, coast with for a little while here, but uh, I fall asleep. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cozy. There is um, at this moment uh, not a lot of uh, media other than readable material that exists for the higher public. That includes music uh, and includes games. Um, and for those people who don't know really what the higher public is, uh, you can look at a Star Wars timeline, which kind of updates. You know, the, more recently they updated it, Star Wars Celebration. We were talking about that, you know, a week or two ago. But, um, but yeah, the High Republic is a couple hundred years before the prequel trilogy. And for the last is couple it only of years, or is it? it's a couple hundred. Yeah, it's like okay. uh, it's between between two or between 100 and 500 years, depending on which phase of the High Republic we're talking about. And that's part of the reason that plays into why it's okay that we're late getting on the bandwagon for reviewing this book. Yeah, that's um, why. Because the first phase is, I think it's around two to 300 years before The Phantom Menace. And phase two of The High Republic is a prequel phase to phase one. So that phase, so phase two, weirdly enough, is actually further back. It's at like the 500 year mark moving upwards. And then phase three, which has been announced, it'll start as of this year in fall, that phase is going to be the last phase in the High Republic and take us all the way up to the Disney Plus Acolyte show, which is about 100 years before The Phantom Menace, or 50, 50 to 100 years before that. So let me get this straight. We're going to review the book, which is the ending of the first phase, 
after the second phase has already been completed and they're starting the third phase? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's okay <laughs> that we're, we're really good at the keeping up with this Star Wars content. I know there's so much, right? <laughs> uh, it's okay that that we're we're late getting getting onto this bandwagon because, of course, uh, this is the last. Uh, chronologically, it is the last book of phase one, which leads directly into phase three. And even sure. though we're kind of not, we haven't reviewed or read a single book of phase two yet. Neither of us have. And uh, I think it's kind of funny that somehow it's, we've just been too busy, right? But, um, but it's, that's okay because it's all before this story happens. So at the moment, this book is still very relevant because no one knows what comes next. Um, so this is, all, this is all good. It's all good. It's all good, everybody. Yeah, that's, this is all planned out. <laughs> all planned sure. out. Very well. Feel free to tweet at us if you disagree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the book we're talking about today uh, for a section of our podcast is um, Star Wars The Higher Public, The Fallen Star. Uh, it's written by Claudia Gray, and it was released in January last year. That's 2022 um, on uh, the 4th by the Del Rey publisher, uh, which is the staple Star Wars novels that kind of um, builds the main pillars of, I would say, the, the, the canon lore in a way. You know, a lot of the junior novels don't tend to have as much impact, but, uh, but yeah, these canon, like these Del Rey Star Wars novels tend to be the Billy, you know, the very like structural kind of elements that they've been using to kind of uh, drive a lot of the canon, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you always wondered if Disney or Lucasfilm picked this company because it has the name Ray in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. Uh, or maybe that's why maybe that's where they got the name cuz you know Delray's been a publisher for <laughs> Star contract, Wars for years. Yeah. How how original. Um, Ray, these are your first books. Ray. This is your first page. <laughs> 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 All right. So the the publisher, the publisher summary for this guy. Um, let's uh, let's take a look at what this book is about. We can even just quickly recap for people um, what happened kind of roughly before this. And yeah, uh, I could use a refresher with that. In a nutshell, yeah. And and just kind of where we think the story's going. Um, just for a warning for everybody, this is a spoiler centric review if you plan on reading the higher public fallen star uh and uh you don't want to be spoiled do not listen to this section maybe jump forward ahead uh when we're talking about jedi survivor that's a spoiler free review and uh, we're also going to be uh plugging orbit key in, in a moment as well um which is really cool. You should definitely check that out. All right. Uh, publisher summary. In this gripping sequel to Star Wars The Rising Storm, the light of the Jedi faces its darkest hour. Time and again, the vicious raiders known as the Nihil have, have sought to bring the golden age of the High Republic to a fiery end. Time and again, the High Republic has emerged battered and weary, but victorious thanks to the Jedi protectors. And there is no monument to it, their cause grander than the starlight beacon. Hanging like a jewel in the outer rim, the beacon embodies the High Republic at the apex of its aspirations. A hub of culture and knowledge, a bright torch against the darkness of the unknown, and an extended hand of welcome to the furthest reaches of the galaxy. As survivors and refugees flee the Nile's attacks, the beacon and its crew stand ready to shelter and heal. The grateful knights and padawans of the Jedi Order stationed there finally have a chance to recover from the pain and the, of their injuries and the grief of their losses. But the storm that they had thought had passed still rages. They're simply caught in its eye. Marchion Road, the true mastermind of the Nihils, preparing his most daring attack yet. 
one designed to snuff out the light of the Jedi, uh, which is a bit of a play on the first novel in this phase one, which is the light of the Jedi. Uh, so it's very smartly written there. Uh, I got to say this just like kind of upfront uh, initial, initial thoughts on this book. Um, I liked it. It wasn't the best Star Wars book I've ever read, but I liked it. Okay. And I think that's all I, you just up front, you know, just a spoiler way, a spoiler free way of just kind of initial thoughts. When I finished it was like, it was good. It wasn't as good as Light of the Jedi, but it was good. I'm just curious, like, like in a nutshell, just kind of like how, how did you feel when you finished it? Well, I remember the one before this, in between Light of the Jedi and this novel, which was the name of that one. They all sound the same to me. It's a hard time remembering them. Right. What was the name of it? The second book? Uh, second book was The um, uh, the Rising Storm. Rising Storm. Yeah. Well, that one was so terrible that I had a very low bar for this this book. And so I enjoyed it yeah. quite a lot. And this this book read to me almost like a disaster novel. Mm-hmm. I want to say disaster movie because I feel like I've seen more movies than yeah. books in that category. But I enjoyed it quite a lot. I, I remember actually really getting into this novel whereas the previous one i it was a struggle for me to yeah it was i totally agree and something that uh is worth noting here is that josh read the book whereas i listened to the audiobook yeah so we got two perspectives on this we got the uh the audio the performance level if you're into audiobooks uh blake has done the audiobook uh and i have read the novel and uh, of course, with that, I've got highlighted annotations and such uh, through the ebook that that uh, we'll be bringing up uh, through this review as well. So you know, it's kind of nice that we do that that way because uh, you know each of us get a different perspective on the story mm-hmm. uh, as it's kind of unraveling in front of us. And we learn things of what I guess you could say is the official pronunciation of words like Marchion and not Marchion. Yeah, you can correct me on stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> Marchion Road. There, there you we go. go. Yeah. Um, well, that being said, it's never always accurate because the original audiobooks for the Thrawn trilogy, they pronounced Coruscant, Coruscant. That's before the prequel. Right. Came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. That is that is a good point. Um, it's actually kind of mind-blowing that Coruscant is, is mentioned in any Star Wars book at all before the prequels came out. That is cool. Yeah, I, I guess they would have just got that idea directly from George because yeah. he was probably planning the prequels. Around well, he's writing era. it since like 91 or 92, right? right? Like for Phantom Menace. So I guess it would have been... He already had an established idea then. Yeah, yeah. But that is cool though. I, I always forget that. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Really. Uh, okay, let's, let's breeze through this opening crawl because this kind of helps us set up the story. That, that was the publisher's summary. Um, so here's the, here's the opening crawl. Every Star Wars book ever, if you've read a Star Wars book at all, the book, much like a lot of the films, always have a bit of a bit of a little blurb as to like what came before, so that we can kind of go in understanding like where the story's picking up. Um, so, like you mentioned, the last book, which we weren't really a huge fan of, was called The Rising Storm, and that was the second book in this trilogy of the main staple novels. Every single phase of the High Republic has been broken out into roughly six to more, uh, or six or maybe eight books each and each uh, level of reading audience has been targeted with three novels so the main del rey uh books have been targeting like older kids slash adults 
Uh, and those are the three. They're always the Del Rey ones are always like the main novels of the phase. So phase one was the Light of the Jedi, which kicks things off. Uh, then we had the Rising Storm, um, and uh, then we had uh, this novel, which was The Fallen Star. First one was by Charles Soule, uh, most notable for a lot of his work in the Darth Vader comic books, and those ones are fabulous, by the way. Um, the Rising Storm was done by Kevin Scott, who has also done a few other stories uh, in Star Wars, and um, I can I can look it up because uh, I can't exactly remember exactly what he's done. He's done The Adventures in Wild Space, uh, he's done a few of the Star Wars comic books here and there. Um, let's see, what's his He's most done about? something of notability, because I don't remember his name coming he, up. He's done a lot of the higher public comic book stuff. Um, yeah, and that's like, I can't think that... He's, I don't think he's done anything else other than higher public, okay. believe it or not. Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, sorry. Uh, he did the book that we liked a lot, which was Dooku Jedi Lost. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I think he did that one. So there you go. Um, okay, so, and then the this third novel is written by Claudia Gray. Uh, <laughs> should, have, should have stuck to a sequel instead and did Dooku Je- uh, Jedi Found. <laughs> Jedi Republic. Found, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the junior novels for phase one uh, consist uh, of a, a few of them. Uh, there was, uh, the, oh, sorry, there was young adult novels, and then there was junior novels. Uh, so, uh, all of these books kind of like, they, they all seem like looking back at phase one, cause now this is like the end of the line. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's worthwhile for people to read the main stable fil- uh, books plus all the young adult and the junior novels or. I don't know about the junior novels, but I actually thought the young adult, the second one down. Yeah. Young adult. The young adult ones. Those ones were good. Yeah. I thought they were questionably better than the main main line because I, I weirdly found that as well just in they, in general right yeah because yeah. they were going for more of an eerie kind of like spookiness to them i thought which right. was pretty cool they could almost write a little bit like a horror novel if mm-hmm. anyone's listened to our reviews of that you'll know that our complaints were they didn't lean enough into that as yeah. in the the new villain they introduced the plant creatures was their name yeah uh the drink gear drink gear yeah, yeah. I said Drengar, like the Dengar version. <laughs> they they led us to believe they're going to be this like evil, like f- almost like a f- force creature where they're they're just driven to like eat and consume like a like a almost like a classic horror monster. Yeah. And instead, they made them this sentient species that I don't I don't know. It, it became really weird. I wish they just didn't make them sentient. Honestly. I I wish that they just didn't talk. Exactly. I th- I thought that, that was the main weird. thing. Yeah, that was weird. That was really weird. Um, so yeah, I mean, some of the novels are worthwhile reading than others. Uh, the so the three staple adult novels just went over those. The young adult novels are like a tier down for reading uh, le- reading level, but again, quick to get through, and also the stories were really good. We had Into the Dark, written by Claudia Gray. Um, Out of the Shadows, written by Justina Ireland, and Midnight Horizon by Daniel Jose Older. Um, I must admit, uh, we've only read Into the Dark and not either of the other two. Uh, The middle grade novels, which are considered junior, uh, there was A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland, Race to Crash Point Tower, which was Daniel Jose Older, and Mission to a Disaster, which was by Justina Ireland. And I have read Race to Crash Point Tower and A Test of Courage. I think I read the same too. Yeah. We talked about so them. I feel like there's only three books total 
between young and middle grade that we just haven't gotten to from phase one. I think what happened was we were reading the books and then the Mandalorian came out. Yeah. <laughs> we just never went yeah. back to it. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, there's been so much Disney Plus stuff that, like, yeah, like last year we had, I mean, everything from Book of Boba, Kenobi, Andor. Like, there was so much Bad Batch. Like, we've had so much stuff to talk about that we just that didn't we, have enough time to read all this. And we had Shadows of the Sith, which we reviewed last year as well. That's true. Yep. So. And then we also did, I think we finally talked about Jedi Fallen Order as well. Uh, that was that was the year before, but um, I'm trying to think. Like there was so definitely another. There, yeah, there was there was yeah. Anyway, it's been a lot. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much like the main thing. They do have young reader books, like infant kind of level big picture books. Uh, those are just adapted stories from stories in the other novels that they kind of pictureize and make for young young kids. But um, overall, the big staple of the the each phase is usually made in three reading tiers, each of a total of three books, um, which make a total of nine books per phase typically. And then along that, we also have the underlying Marvel comic series, which has been an ongoing thing with the High Republic Marvel comic series. Um, and, uh, there's, I don't know how many issues is it per phase, but it's been a couple volumes so far per phase, maybe like three or four. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, <laughs> um, sub to that, there is like some mini short, uh, like kind of either one shot comics or like uh, a limited run series of four issues or three issues or whatever during the High Republic as well, which kind of have some short stories. There was also that audiobook called Tempest Runner, and we did we did talk about that one as well. That was like a I recognize that name. Yeah, each phase tends to have maybe one audiobook that they've done. I don't think there was one for phase two, but there was like this was written as an audiobook. It was like an audio drama. Um, and it was uh, about Lorna D, one of the Nihil people. And that really didn't, I didn't like that one at all that much. It wasn't, wasn't very good. Um, but yeah, I, I gotta say, like, as far as like the main staple stories goes, like you really only need to read the Del Rey novels and the higher, the, the, the young adult stuff, it's like supplementary, not, it's supplementary, not super essential, but there are characters in the young adult ones that show up in the, in the main adult novels a lot. Like they're like, they become main characters. So, um, you know, I think my recommendation would be hit the young adult novels and the Del Rey novels for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and then just avoid the middle grade and lower. And if you can't even do that, just do the Del Rey cause you'll get kind of like the, the broad stroke story of what's yeah. happening. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the, you know, how that works, that's all explained now. Uh, let's hit the, uh, the plot summary. The tragic events of the Republic Fair have galvanized the galaxy. The Jedi and the Republic have gone onto the offensive to stop the marauding Nihil. Uh, with these vicious raiders all but defeated, Master uh, Avar Chris has her sights set on Lorna D, the supposed Eye of the Nile, um, and has undertaken a mission to capture her once and for all. But unbeknownst to the Jedi, the true leader of the Nihil, uh, the insidious Markeon Roe is about to land an attack on the Jedi and the Republic on a scale that hasn't been seen in centuries. If he succeeds, the Nihil will be triumphant and the light of the Jedi will go dark. Only the brave Jedi Knights of Starlight Beacon stand in his way, but even as they may not be enough against Roe and the ancient enemy that's about to be unleashed. Um, okay, so... Starlight Beacon is a big space station that the Republic has basically built to be uh, kind of like a kind of be like a hub in the outer rim, which uh, they can use as a way to uh, to do like um, 
uh, outreach and uh, I guess it's a, also a communications tower to expand uh, like the hollow net and everything. Uh, what else would you describe it to be? Like just tons of hangars. It's got a medical bay. Yeah, you, you can know? kind of, I guess, think of it as maybe during like Victorian age, they'll send like a ship of everyone out to like explore the new world. Right. And, like reach out to the new locals. And then they kind of, it'd be like, I guess what you'd think of as, like, their armada itself. Like, they kind of have their own hub. That everything, yeah. I guess that's what you call it, was a hub. Everything kind of centered out of there, right? And they, But the benefit being in space and Star Wars, you can move around so much easier. Yeah, because like it's got engines on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we actually had a guest on the podcast who designed the model for the Starlight Beacon. His name was Jason. And uh, you can find that episode, uh, I think, within the last couple of months i think we had him on quite recently yeah. yeah yeah so he was really cool it was fascinating talking to him of course he kind of kind of spoiled the story as to what we're talking about today which is the fact that they broke his his space station hit the button <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it works doubly well because the ship is tearing in half as we yeah. Play. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> uh but yeah that's that's kind of the the general the general story um i really uh, you know i i, I couldn't um I couldn't connect on it on the same way that other people could, but I felt that this event was supposed to be the Star Wars version of 9-11. See, that, that, to, oh. me, that to me really kind of struck hard. And I, like, I was really quite young when, that, when mm -hmm. that all went down. And, um, you know, it's a very, like, big event that kind of transformed the world in some ways, you know. Uh, and uh, I think, like, Star Wars is always rooted in reality to a certain extent, right? There's, there's real world events that have inspired, um, what goes on in a galaxy far, far away. And, uh, to me, this just kind of had nine 11 written all over it. Yeah. I didn't actually make that correlation because it was in space and star Wars. I was almost thinking more like, mm -hmm. have you ever watched the movie Armageddon with like the asteroid hidden towards earth? But yeah. Cause there's, there's kind of both sides to that yeah. in this story where like the, the, Station is going to crash into like a, a capital city of this planet while yeah. simultaneously it, itself is breaking apart and exploding. But with the Nihil being what are essentially terrorists in Star Wars, that actually I can see that connection. Yeah, yeah. They um, and because the station when they when they they plant they basically sneak aboard the station they plant a bomb, um, and these people. Uh, go aboard this mission knowing that these Nihil warriors they they go they go about this mission knowing that they're not going to come back like they plan on destroying the station everybody aboard with it including themselves and so and to that point they make their within their efforts they try to make it so no one else can escape no exactly one, yeah no, they they know themselves are not going to escape either so they're not worried about trying to leave yeah opening for themselves yeah they sabotage the station in such a critical way that it, it damages escape pods it, it damages um electrical you know systems it 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 creates a block-in of many areas of the ship you know the uh, ray shielded hangar bays like that that power goes down so of course the air the uh, the giant blast doors mm -hmm. seal and it becomes a magnetically sealed room uh so they can't even blast their way out technically technically speaking with with you know low power power that is um so it becomes an issue because of course now they're floating dead in space there's massive critical damage to the ship and then of course halfway through the book we find out that now because of the damage the station is now splitting in two and now there's two sections of the sh of this giant 
kind of space station that are um, being slowly drifting towards uh, the planet that it's that it's orbiting uh, into its gravity field. And uh, and the inevitable risk of that is that these two halves uh, or these two inverted looking tower things are, are about to uh, plummet into a city full of people and kill a ton of people. And uh, and that's kind of where I thought like this is very 9-11 to me, like it's just kind of like had, you know, that chaos just written all over it. Um, and of course, the uh, the leader of the, the planet below them, uh, she um, newly, I guess, uh, a new addition to the Republic um, clears the city, you know, evacuates the city to to try and get as many people to safety as possible in a just in case scenario. Um, but it was uh, it was a lot of people kind of just acting on the faith of, that they have, you know, that the Jedi can like fix this and like kind of save as many people as possible. And even uh, they themselves don't really know. Y- yeah, they're trying to figure out what happened, and everyone's all like uh, separated across the ship and all isolated. Yeah, exactly. So they're a lot. A lot of them themselves are losing confidence in being able to stop it. Totally, totally. Yeah, and um, you know, every life that they try and save, like it's as this thing is all going down. Uh, you know, they're also hit with uh, another um, another danger, which is that the Nihil, not only have they smuggled a bomb on board and, and successfully um, critically damaged the station, but they've also smuggled some creatures on board the ship as well. And uh, we'll talk about that as well, but um, two, of, two of which are uh, Rathtars. And in another containment uh, box that they kind of smuggle aboard, uh, they also have... Um, uh, well, it's listed as Rathars, but they're not Rathars. They're actually something far more ancient and deadly, and apparently can be very disruptive to the Force itself and affect the Jedi in this very odd, odd way. Um, and it's I've got some comments on that. We'll talk we'll, we'll talk about that because, of course, one of the Jedi at the very end of um, I think it was the Rising Storm, the second book in the trilogy. That's when we first kind of had the reveal of these creatures. And uh, I think it was Bell's former master. Um, he turned he, stone. Yeah, he. They basically the result of an encounter with this creature turns a Jedi to ash. Um, in a very like in, in like a like statue a, ash or like a husk. Like a Medusa. Sort yeah, of it, Medusa. Totally. Yeah, they describe it as like a husk because like if you touch it, it just disintegrates and they just they're just ash. So right? it's Medusa mixed together with the uh, the snap. <laughs> I don't know what the snap is, but well, the snap from like Marvel Endgame. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, the, sorry. Yeah, the, yeah, Thanos' the snap. Yeah, that that is the perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, we can maybe start kind of digging into these like individual things at this point that we uh, can point out from the story. Uh, that, that actually reminded me when they first revealed that in the last novel. All I could think of was the Marvel snap. I'm like, wow, they just ripped that off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like you might be right because like this, this all happens. You know, is written afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, they, there's still no name for these creatures, as far as I know, and uh, these are be- these are creatures that have no effect on the non-force sensitive. It's only uh, only force sensitives that can be affected by these things. Uh, I picture it as uh, a, like well, the closest depiction that we got which was from a Jedi's perspective, was that um, it was like this shadowy kind of distortion of, of a cloud or something like that that was moving towards them. Of course, that's probably their blindness in the Force that they can't like mm-hmm. see that what it is. 
uh, I just imagined it being some sort of like dog looking creature from Pandora. Um, right. Yeah, that's kind of kind of like a creepy looking like yeah, like on all fours kind of thing. You know, sleuthy and sneaking up on people and uh, but every time it gets near a Jedi they start to feel like basically like the wrath of God, like, you know, like fear in their hearts. Like just like they, they start to have like nightmarish visions. Is it from you know, the they, lack of the force? Yeah. They, they all of a sudden they're, they can't quite touch the force the same way they could. Like it's, it's like the field is, is been disturbed in a way that they can't quite connect to it. Okay. Um, Are we getting into this now? Because, uh, yeah, we can't, you know what? Yeah. Let's try. Let's get into it. Um, yeah. Okay. Because, Here's my complaint. So in the Thrawn trilogy, there were these lizards. Yeah. And they created a anti-force bubble. Yeah. F- so force sensitives couldn't detect any force use within them. They kind of blocked the force. Yeah, that's why the EU version of Thrawn kept these lizards around him all the time. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so that uh, any force users couldn't sense what he was planning or trying to you know foresee the future and use it against him. Right. And one of the things that I believe Dave Filoni specifically called out, because he said, oh, Thrawn Trilogy, like, there's all these great story points, but there's also weird stuff, like the lizards we could do without. Yeah. And I feel like we've just gone full circle into doing the exact same thing again. Yeah, I, I feel I feel you uh, 100%. Like, I, I don't like the idea of these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether they're ancient or not... Um, Clearly, they don't exist later in the timeline, so maybe there's just not that many. But Mar- maybe it'll be like, you know, like Europe used to have like bears and you know cougars and stuff, and they just went and exterminated all of them, right? Just over like <laughs> generations, right? So yeah. The Jedi, like these are bad, so they just go and it like kill them, drive all. them to extinction. Yeah, I you know I was surprised though how many Jedi they killed in this story, uh, not oh, yeah. not just from the space station going down, which I think only one of them, one of the main three characters of this phase had like died. He sacrificed himself to steer the station into like the ocean. So it avoided the big city. Um, but yeah, spoiler again, this is a spoiler thing. Uh, but, but there was like, what was it? Like four, four Jedi that we've got come to know within the first phase have been killed off by this creature. Or these, these, mm-hmm. these. I think there was more than one. I think they su- they suggested that there was a total of seven, uh, seven individuals that that were aboard Starlight on behalf of Markeon Row. Mm-hmm. Three of them were the Nile that were supposed to set off the bomb. Uh, two of them were the Rathars, and then there was another two, which were these unlabeled force disturbance creatures that uh, were, have killed more Jedi than. I can count in a single novel. Um, I I just don't really like them. I was so surprised that they were willing to kill that many named characters. Yeah. That we've been following for three books now. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, the Rathtars got one too. They got uh, Burry Yaga, yeah. the, the Wookiee Jedi. Oh, I have a uh, audio clip from that scene. Yeah. Actually, you want to play that? You want to sure, yeah. play that? that yeah. Buri Yaga is a different Wookiee character from the one that we've been hinted at that's going to show up on the Acolyte. But um, still, it's like, man, like the, the heart that they must have, you know, just like to kill a Wookiee Jedi is like, seriously, that must yeah. have been painful to do, you know? And the reason why I actually uh, saved this, this scene is because I wanted to talk about something that happens in here. So Go for it. Instead, he dashed to the service ladder on the side, normally hidden within a maintenance shaft. It had been exposed in the newly cavernous space of the cargo bay when they'd collapsed the walls. 
He climbed as quickly as he could, desperate to reach Buriaga before more harm was done. Buriaga, however, wasn't done defending himself. He extended his claws to the fullest, a sight Elzar had never seen before, and a fearsome one, to slash at the raftar that held him. It screeched in pain and let go. For one instant, Elzar smiled. Buriaga would use the force to catch himself, Elzar would jump down to him, and maybe the Rathtars had learned their lesson. They hadn't. The other Rathtar bolted down the wall to grab Buriaga again. This time, its tentacle wrapped around his neck, tightly enough to suffocate anyone to death, even a Wookiee. Buriaga clawed at the tentacle again, but this Rathtar was made of sterner stuff than the last. It only yowled in anticipation as it brought the Wookiee closer to its wide, hungry mouth. The docking bay was all but empty. They transition away and they transition back. Yeah, so that's that's the scene of the Rathtar fighting. I think we come back and they finish the fight and Beryalka dies, if I remember He gets carried away and he's not seen dead, but like they, yeah, these Rathars basically had him by by every limb and the neck and everything and they Mm kind of disappeared and they didn't see him. Uh, and, then the sh- and then it crashes. Yeah, and then they escape spaces and crashes. They, they they basically suggest that there's no possibility that he could have survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the space station does crash, there was uh, a Jedi Elzar man who survives the event. He senses that there were more than a more than that one Jedi who sacrificed himself. There were a few other individuals aboard the space station that perished with the space station because he feels it in the Force. Mm-hmm. So it is very likely that he died as well. Uh, so the Wrath Stars got one. These other creatures got like three or four. Uh, and then the station collapsing as well um, took Load and Great Storm along with him. So there was, there was a lot of Jedi deaths in this book. Yeah. Like I said, I was very surprised how many that killed off. To me, this yeah. was almost like a Red Wedding moment in yeah. Game of Thrones. Uh, I got a, I got a little, a few, few little Easter but eggs. Before we just, dis- we change topics. Oh, sure. The reason why I, I saved that clip is because he uses his claws. Oh yeah. 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 There was, it was pointed out in the story that it's like not very many times has this Wookiee Jedi used his actual claws to like get himself out of a situation. I feel like we've never seen even Chewbacca. No, use and his claws. that's because culturally, and this might be you now, but culturally, with Wookiees, their claws are supposed to be tools. They're for climbing and, like, building. And you're not supposed to use them for combat. And if you use them for for fighting, you're what's considered a mad claw, and you're thrown out of Wookiee society. Right. So that's what that's what happened to, like, Black Chrysanthemum or something. Yeah, or exactly. Like, um, yeah, and there's, a, there's another Wookiee who's f- um, famous for that in the KOTOR 2 game. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how... It's nice that they kind of had a little nod oh, of the head. It's Kotor one, and, and it's the guy he got. He found out his 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 brother, the Wookiee, his brother was selling their own people in slavery and attacked him with his claws, and then he got thrown out. That's what happened. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I did like that. It's like a nod of the head, right? It's like a nod of the. Head. It's not like a full like recanonizing that this is a thing, but like I liked that they did put that in. It's like oh, like it's like he's using his claws. Like I've never seen that before. So then not many people have. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I guess then under that context, it makes sense that he wouldn't know the cultural connotation to that from right. the Wookiee perspective. Right. That's Yeah. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is a, uh, a gateway into recanonizing it as opposed to uh, eliminating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, c- I can see that. I can see that for sure. Um, 
there's a few there's a few Easter eggs here which I kind of want to bring up. Um, one character in the book which we've come to know over the course of Phase One has been uh, a rock character named Geode, and uh, I think you also have an audio clip about this rock. We can share that as well. Two, um, actually, I uh, Geode. He, they write this character in a very interesting way because he's got no limbs. He's basically, if you imagine, a boulder. He's a pet rock. That's the basic he, He's a pet rock. Yeah, and it's unclear as to how he moves around. He kind of just, either he slides around or he just kind of shows up. Mm-hmm. He's very Batman. Yeah. In the novel series. You yeah, just, it's very... All of a sudden very, he's there and all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah, it's very elusive as to how he, how he gets around. He doesn't talk, mm-hmm. you know, and um, all we know about his species is that they can... Uh, they can magnetically seal their body. As of this book. As of this book, they can do that. That's one of my clips. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Let's let's hear the first one, and okay. uh, we can we can talk about that the the, the weirdness of that. <laughs> yeah, I was caught very off guard, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Ricochet around at tremendous speed, <laughs> bouncing off walls and floors until they might as well have been caught in a firefight. <laughs> the Wookiee bellowed in protest, and the curse words of three dozen worlds were shouted and screamed. Beneath the Adrian's ship, Affy and Pika shared a look. They both knew that bolt wasn't going to stop until it hit something besides a wall, which meant either a ship was going to get damaged or somebody was about to get killed. The bolt zapped by them and... At the instant of that strange sizzling sound, the bolt stopped. Like everyone else, Affy looked up to see Geode standing there, burn mark in his midsection, still smoking, completely undaunted. He'd thrown himself in front of the blaster fire and taken the hit. As she watched, he sloughed off the scorched dust and gravel and let it crumble to the floor. No time for pain, Joss Adrian said admiringly. I had the wrong idea about you, man. Geode modestly said nothing. Even as other- He modestly said nothing. That's right. It, it's, it's funny how they write the character because it always makes it seem like he could do something, but he doesn't because he's a yeah. rock, right? Yeah, they do that all the time. All the time, yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on like this character? Because we, we, we've read about Geode now in about two two or three books. Um, like any Any further thoughts on just a character that's made of a boulder how would they, my first question and thoughts were how are they going to do this in ffg for the star wars game i don't really know and i know that aj would love to play as a rock <laughs> that never has to contribute talking commerce any to plans he's just a rock and he can become invincible by, <laughs> by become making himself magnetically sealed sounds sounds like a character you'd love to play <laughs> those are my first thoughts uh, but then story wise i've had a back and forth with this character because it's absurd that's yeah. the whole point of the character right this yeah, is supposed yeah. To, he's he's there for comedic the, effect yeah the, the laughs yeah. but that being said it's been done in a way that I think has been kind of fun and a little clever. Like he's always kind of the, uh, the br- like the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And I know in the first novel, I was worried it would kind of get old, but I don't know, they've kept it fresh enough. I guess that uh, I have actually enjoyed it so far. Would I want to watch a, a, a series around this character? Probably not. Right. <laughs> what I want is a dedicated novel or a comic? Probably not. 
But as far as like the sidekick character that is just kind of there once in a while, I think it's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm, I know when this series first launched, a lot of people were really upset by this, like pointing at the lack of creativity, whatever, with this character. And I, I could see without reading the novels, jumping to that conclusion. And I was skeptical when I found out about it before reading the books. But yeah. I thought they've done a really good job with this character, to be honest. There's a there's a funny little clip that you got you got to share. Uh, it's an example of the jokes that they often use with Geode. Yeah. Here, just pulling it up. Again to applaud. Oops. Pick it. That's not it. Okay, here we go. Um, she began. What's the problem? Joss let out a long sigh. Yeah. Listen, I know there's nothing for me to worry about, not really, but that doesn't mean I appreciate people flirting with my wife in front of my very eyes. Oh, Leox isn't flirting, Affy said. He winds up hugging everybody sooner or later. Leox Joshy isn't the problem, Joss huffed. It's that damn rock. Affy angled her body around the side of Adrian's ship to see the vessel. Its hatch was open, geode at the top of the ramp, Upon which sat Pika Adrian, her curly hair bouncing as she laughed. Affy hurriedly said, Geo's a Vintian. It's not like there's anything he could do with a human, even if he wanted to, which he doesn't. He dates in species only, which for most people I think is kind of narrow-minded. But you have to admit, for Vintians, it's kind of unavoidable. Joss looked over her shoulder and sighed. Uh, I guess you're right. Maffy smiled at him, relieved to have restored his mood, while inwardly thinking, Oh, great. Geode's on the prowl again. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny that, that they would throw a joke like that in there, that, like, someone's, I guess someone's so, such a terrible spouse <laughs> that she, they'd rather flirt with a rock. <laughs> you know, it's like, dang, I mean, that's, that's tough, uh, tough news. <laughs> right, and I feel like, that's like as an example of like how geode is used kind of cleverly. It's like yeah. you would never expect them, like you'd never expect a rock to be like flirting with someone and like because he doesn't talk, he doesn't he's say a, anything. That's a rock, right? Yeah. right? And the fact that he's like stealing someone's wife, yeah, and, yeah. and that his uh, the, his crew member considers him like a ladies' man, but he's a rock, yeah. Yeah, it's like um, up until the point that we learn it's it's a little crab. Uh, picture that whole Johnny Depp moment when he's like going crazy thinking that these rocks are like moving and like he just kind of turns around and they're there in the third Pirates movie. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like that. It kind of reminds me of like just how Geo is perceived by other people uh, because they realize like, oh, that's a that's a that's like a creature like that's, that's a, some sort of alien living organism mm -hmm. uh, rather than like a just a rock right uh so yeah it's kind of funny um all right we uh elzar uh, elzar could not make himself reject his feelings about avar but he couldn't let those feelings turn poisonous this is a little snippet i took out of the book um jedi on feelings this movie this book was a very big one for jedi and feelings and attachments and like the fact that it's a thing apparently that jedi can have intimacy uh but not have the feelings that all go along with it 
What are your thoughts on this? Because I always thought it was really weird that they started to introduce this aspect to... Trying to add friends with benefits? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, like that just never works. You know, like like I've seen enough rom-coms to know that that doesn't work, right? And this book is clearly pointing that out because he's got feelings for Avar. Well, I I think it's in the last novel. Maybe the f- I think maybe in the first novel they talk about this. There's a very small sect of Jedi that actually do this. Hmm. Whereas the vast majority just don't right. have like physical intimacy with anyone. Yeah. And I, we, I think we we talked about this briefly before where we brought up, say, Obi-Wan. And how if he was going to do that, he would have had to leave the Order. So yeah, I guess there must be a change. There must be. Somewhere between where we are now in the timeline and where we are at the time of the prequels. Yeah. Or else this wouldn't have been an issue. It's possible. Yeah, it's definitely possible. They could always kind of close that off as like a law and confirm what we think about the Jedi during the prequels. Like they're like space monks, right? Mm-hmm. That's at least that's the way that I always looked at them. Is they're they're like they're like space monks that don't yeah. don't have they you know they avoid anything to do with yeah. um, the temptation. The yeah. yeah, like anything that would like potentially like lure them towards that kind of attachment lifestyle like I, I always just thought that this was kind of strange yeah i i do agree with that but as you're pointing out they all they really push the emphasis that this is uh elzar's like one of his like struggle weaknesses right? and it, yeah. it has caused him in this novel as well which we'll get into caused him to be really close to the dark side and even give into it a few times yeah and yeah. we're kind of retreading the same storyline that we saw with Anakin in regards to this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was a Jedi which I just thought was the stupidest name Jedi ever. And I had to pick it out. His name is Frozian Jedi Norin Bakarakakana. <laughs> and I just thought that was the most unoriginal, stupid name for a Jedi of any kind in any regards amongst all of Star Wars. Like, who comes up with a name like this, you know, okay. you know, this is one of those times where reading the novels stands out way more than listening. Like, I look, look, didn't even look at the spelling. Like, try and say that. Okay, look at the spelling of that thing. Trying to find it here. Oh, here it is. A Frozian Jedi, Noran Bakarakana. That's all one word, <laughs> and I think there's ten letters. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot. It was a mouthful. Like oh trying, to, like gosh. thinking about it in my head. I was always like, anytime I saw that name show up, my brain would just stop reading, and I would have to read it like four times over and try and. That's part of the issue, though. Is like when you introduce a character with a name like that, the reader you're, you're taken out, right? Of like of the story, and you're and eventually you just start to ignore the character name. Like you don't even bother to pronounce it, just like that guy, Norin Bakarikana. <laughs> yeah, it's like. You know, and I think I think back to the reason why JJ named all these like single syllable names: Ray, Finn, Poe, Maz. Memorable. You know, Leia, Luke, Han. Right? Like, I mean, like it's only the prequels that gave us some longer, like Yarrow Poof. (laughs) (laughs) But even uh, then, it's usually like rancid of something or another. Like, (laughs) is it? Ras Rasness or Rance I don't know. It's like something like that. Yaddle, yeah. uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, Qui Gon Jinn. Right? It's only it, like it's very often a two syllable name and a one syllable name, and they switch back and forth between. Yeah, Luke. Well, I guess Luke Skywalker is three, right? 
Yeah, but yeah, that's an exception to the rule. Darth Darth Vader. Yeah, Maul, Vader, Dooku. Like they're all easy names to remember. Who's going to remember Norin Bakarakana? As Master oh, Norm Baratakana to you. Make sure you score that action figure. Gosh, this is going to be in the trivia now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Um, what the, is the name of the Jedi with the longest name? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had uh, um, an Easter egg for a device that recently showed up in Andor. Um, it's called an astrometrical sextant. And um, if, you know, a, a sextant is, is traditionally um, something used for um, navigational purposes, like, uh, uh, you know, on the open seas, right? Uh, it's for uh, tracking tracking stars and, and uh, uh, navigating based on, yeah, yeah, a, um, like, yeah, astral navigation, but like a completely manual way of doing it, right? And uh, the prop used in Andor is... is uh, primarily recognized as a really old camera, I think, right? It's like something like that. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it shows up in this book as an astrometrical uh, device, which uh, one of the characters uses to, uh, before the information is revealed to them that the station is, in fact, approaching the uh, gravity field of this planet, uh, because the Jedi at first don't want to freak everybody out so they don't tell anybody. And uh, one of these characters, I think it's Leo or something like that, they, they use one of these things and figure it out for themselves. They're like, oh, this station is moving. Like, we're drifting, and we're about to hit the gravity zone. Like, this is bad. Um, so I just thought it was worth noting that a device like this is still considered a very ancient and old device, even though this is a couple hundred years before Andor. So the prop that we, that we see in Andor that's brought up um, it is really old. Like we're we're probably talking a thousand years or more. Is it the the same device? No. Uh, well, I think similar? I think it is. Yeah, I think it's the same, if not a very similar type of device. The idea of navigating with a manual device that tracks that that can you know measure stars and everything like that. Like nobody does that. Right. Anymore. This is like specialty thing. Like if now nowadays yeah. you would just use GPS, you wouldn't see someone trying to map based on stars yeah exactly in, in the same way that nobody uses a paper map in their car anymore um that's kind of you know it's kind of like that <laughs> uh but even even more even even, crazier yeah like who the heck walks around with like a portable sundial in their like, pocket right these are the map you can kind of like figure it out like how it works and you know what's going yeah. on like yeah. maps and star charts yeah yeah but if you're given a mechanical device to base navigation on stars i think it'd be very difficult yeah and yeah. i think they say that in Andor, if I'm not mistaken. Like, if you just look up a picture of a sextant, it's got a weird name. I'm going to, you know, let's, let's put that out there. Elephant in the room. Um, but yeah, if you look up a picture of a sextant, like, it, it's it's very typical, like, you know, probably used in the 1700s uh, to navigate the seas, right? Like, just navigate around. Explorers would have used these. Um, and uh, I don't know how old this device, the device really is. Uh, but there is a wikipedia page on the matter um and uh you know it's called a hyperspace sextant and uh i'm gonna stop saying that word but (laughs) but like it's uh, i think i think like on this page it doesn't reference that it's showing up in andor um and in the book it's actually called something else the hyperspace isn't in the words actually um um astrometrical so i think the idea though is like it's a similar device Mm -hmm. 
that's of the same caliber of what it does, but it's just a different model, maybe. Do you think it's coincidence, so. or do you think it's the story group? I think it was very, yeah, I think it was very intentional that okay. that it's like, oh, you need a, a device that, like, they can figure out that they're moving without using a computer. Uh, this is just kind of the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Fair enough, makes yeah. sense. I, I could see even without a story group coming to that conclusion just based on yeah. history. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's the device that they use to escape... Um, that uh, the, planet the that they asteroid field. Yeah. The there. asteroid field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's got a screen on it and stuff. So it's not like they're looking through a telescope or anything, but uh, it's technically it's, it's like old, it's the equivalent. It's the like old, an analog. Yeah. Computer. Yeah. It's like the star Wars version of analog version of, of, you know, hyperspace computers and stuff like that. Uh, here is something really weird that stuck out to me. Uh, starlight. Uh, only had uh, manual opening overrides on the exterior of the station. So when the power goes out, it's really stupid. So when the power goes out and they lose the ray shielding to the hangars, these big doors get sealed and it's magnetically sealed hangar bay. They can't blast their way out unless they basically set off a thermal detonator or a bomb or whatever um, because it's magnetically sealed. Blaster fire, as we heard in that little clip with Geode, uh, just bounces around the room. Mm -hmm. Um, and the only hand crank to open these doors is on the outside of the door. And I was thinking to myself, like, is this normal? Like, like in a, in a, in a, in a submarine, for example, (laughs) like, is that, is that normal to like, just be trapped inside and to only have the crank on the outside? Cause I'm pretty sure they have one on both sides of the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought there was a bit of a weird plot hole that they just kind of, they needed a reason for them to be trapped in the hangar, and the only way they could do that was that they only put door door handles on the outside. I was like, that's a little... Did they say specifically that, or do they say that the ones on the inside have been tampered with by the Nihil? Uh No, so... so the that would have been a better explanation. It's the beginning of Chapter 19, Okay, and it starts... It, it says, Starlight only has manual opening controls on the exterior of the station. Elzar Man noted... He studied the schematics on display in Stalin's office. This situation is too unstable to send anyone out in a vac suit yet. Maybe we can hook up independent power cells to the doors. And then it kind of goes on from there. But it basically insinuates there are no hand, there are no indoor yeah. manual overrides for this door. For any of them. And I was like, that is just a really bad way to just kind of subvert that as a possible way out. Maybe it was baited by you know? the same engineers that made an exhaust port to go right to the core of the Death Star. Yeah. Then again, I guess, I guess, again, like 9-11, right? Like, I, I think like, or, or Titanic. Titanic, right? A great example is Titanic. Natural, like a, a disaster that happens and uh, it could have been avoided if people weren't being stupid. Or if there was enough lifeboats aboard. Yeah, enough lifeboats. Yeah, and like, you know, like there's there's like more than one kind of thing that all kind of play into when chaos happens. But the reason why in Titanic, there wasn't enough lifeboats. Lifeboats is the biggest reason why a lot of people died, right? It is, but they considered the ship to be unsinkable, the way it was built. Exactly, it was, people so it was were being stupid. <laughs> it was arrogance. Yeah, yeah, arrogance, So yeah. you think that's what it was here as well? yeah. I think it was arrogance. I think it because was like the people who designed this big space station clearly just didn't think these will ever be necessary. And yet somehow the station's been built without a single like turret aboard. It, at least to me, it doesn't sound like it's got any offensive capability at all. 
So it wasn't made to be a Republic version of a Death Star. Like, if we're, we're talking about this no. is a space station that's got, like, probably next to no defense capability. And it's literally like an outreach center. Yeah, but it's that's huge. Exactly what it was. Yeah. Same. Yeah. It's just a giant building in space. Like, that's basically what it is. And I was like, wow. Don't put door handles on the inside. Come on, guys. Um, all right, so here's another. You know, did, the, we, did we want to? I had a, a clip for something related to that. Oh yeah. So I think it's a good time to play it. Sure. So yeah. Go. We go can for get it. into this a little bit. So what happens was they they finally managed to turn off the magnetic ceiling inside the yeah. hangar, and they still can't get the doors open. So they decide they're going to blow it open, and Leox Jossie uh, volunteers to do it so that all all the ships will then be able to fly out. This is once they're in atmosphere. Right. So it won't it won't be sucked out in a vacuum. And what I was, well, we'll get into it. Let me, let me play the clip and then we can kind of talk about what happens. Cause I was completely taken aback that they did this. And then we can get into my complaint afterwards. You through nonetheless. Affy's face lit up as she saw Leox begin working his way toward the opening. Apparently he was coming in that way, not through the hole on the side. And then the wind caught him. Yanked him backward, away from the station. For one moment, it seemed as though Leox hung in the sky before the gales tore him away, flinging him down toward the ground. And death. Heffy screamed. No! No, 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 please! No, please, no! The words kept babbling out of her, like if she said them enough, somehow what had just happened wouldn't have happened. But Leox was gone. Geode managed to maintain his composure, locking in coordinates that would take them safely to the ground. Yeah, so even though they blow up the thing so that in atmosphere so that it avoids the suction of space, he still gets sucked out by because winds. they're by wind. Yeah, and I was like, dude, like <laughs> again, like why? Yeah. Well, then he tries to like get in through the hole. So he just tries to walk through it instead of like the original way he went around and then he just gets sucked out. Yeah, he gets sucked out. It's like it's like it's like blowing a hole in like an airplane, I guess, right? Yeah. Like, you know, there's like a lot of wind. There's still a lot, yeah, still gonna yeah. get near it. Yeah. But but then it turns out he does survive though. Yeah, that's learn. my complaint. Because when I first listened to this, I thought they like it was another main another character main character death. Died. Right? Yeah. And I listened to it a few times because I was like, no way, they actually killed him off? Like, that's yeah. crazy because he was just like a really prominent character. And then later, unfortunately, finally comes back. And that really ruined it for me. I thought that yeah. actually would have been a really good story point if they, they killed him off. Right, yeah. Instead, we find out, because I guess Leox is he's kind of like a... What's, what would be a good word for someone who just took really old technology? Uh, I don't know, like a hobbyist of old tech? Maybe. Like, yeah. It's like an old school, you know, he's like a old school kind of guy. He really likes antiques. Yeah, he likes, yeah. Ant Antiqueologists. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. And so <laughs> we've, he gets sucked out and he gets saved because he happens to have one of these things that nobody's ever heard of before called the parachute because it's ancient technology. <laughs> so I was very disappointed by this. I wish they just killed him off because that would have been a way better story point to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like, um, I, I think the reason why no one has a parachute is because the jet, the seats that tend to jettison out of a spaceship, if they have them, 
are capable of self-landing like an, like an escape pod. They also right? have anti-gravity belts and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and as we've seen in Clone Wars, like there's some Jet methods. That, there's like that big like bouncy bubble that inflates around the um, the seats in the cockpit or whatever. There's like something, some like giant like balloon ball that kind of goes off, and then they kind of they kind of bounce in their chairs or whatever. It's something like that. It was. Yeah, that's that's similar. They have like one of the Land Rovers landing on Mars. Right. Yeah. And they also have like boots with jetpacks. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like jetpack technology is a thing. Like, why would anyone carry a parachute? Right? Yeah, exactly. But he does apparently. <laughs> um, Just for the sole purpose of ruining story points. <laughs> there was a there was a great quote which uh, I found in the book, and I really liked this. Uh, this is what hope is. It isn't pretending that nothing will go wrong. If we only try hard enough, it's looking squarely at all the obstacles in the way, knowing the limits of our own power and the possibility of failure and moving ahead anyway. That is how we must proceed with hope. And uh, I guess like, you know, as as it kind of brings me back to something that Dave said, like shared in the past is like what George said to him is like, make these stories hopeful. You know, there's always got to be it's not can't be like, you know, super depressing or like whatever. Like make these 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 stories are for kids. Like they got to be hopeful. Um, then they made Andor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the hope though is like it, it's still what drives those characters, right? The hope that life can be better, and uh, and so like I thought it was kind of nice that um, this book still kind of got into that. You know, as it, even though as tragic as it is, um, and as many people are dying around the story, like they these main characters, like they still they still have hope that they can save as many lives as possible before the station crashes. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly trying to find a way to, um, you know, how can we utilize the escape pods, even though they don't work as conventional? Like, how can we jerry-rig something up that'll get these things to work? How can we, like, blast a hole that these ships can escape? You know, like, they're, they're always trying to find a way to do it. And uh, it's, not really, it's not really until a certain point in the story that that actually starts to play out. Because at first they don't really know what's going on for like a really good chunk of the book. A large which, chunk, yeah. Yeah, a large chunk of the book. They're all like, what? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think, and this goes back to my initial thoughts on the book a little bit, but I think there was a little bit of fluff in the book that could have been knocked out and slimmed the story a bit down. Sure. Um, only because it was so many characters just endlessly going like, what <laughs> you know like <laughs> constantly yeah like, it was you're following like four or five s- storylines of people all not knowing what was happening yeah and it's like okay we get it like no one knows what's going on right but they just had to put that in there so i was like you know I, what i think it's because at the end all the storylines kind of start to crisscross it's true they all bring different elements together. yeah yeah it kind of pays off in the end but i think i think at some point like there there could have been some editing happening where it's like okay you know let's let's move things along here um, like there was like little sections of chapters where we had someone kind of just their thoughts to themselves and they're standing like in an elevator or something like that, or like you know, nothing really major is happening. And it's like, that's that. I just consider that a little like, you consider little fluffy. that I have a contract to do 265 pages. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta make a certain amount of pages for this book. Let's just throw this in. Right. And that's, I think where the young adult novels really pay off because like sometimes like they're shorter but like it's kind of to the point, but they're not written to be like an amateur reader level. So like I agree with you. Like the, the young adult novels stand out to me as like good books um, a lot of the time, just because they're like shorter to read to the point. It's good story content. It's not written for an amateur reader. Um, it's it's you know, and it's still got some maturity to it as well. So, uh, 
there was um, a little uh, a little section here. Elzar felt a ragged jab of worry for his mentor. Um, and uh, this was something that kind of got me. I don't know if it's just because these creatures aboard the ship that we talked about or what, but how come no one senses the deaths of all these Jedi that are kind of dying on board the space station? Because there was like a number of them that all kind of bite the dust, literally. And uh, they're like sucked up by this creature, the, the, creature thing? Yeah, that turns them to ash or whatever. Like whatever it's doing that does that. Um, I'm assuming it's making some sort of physical contact, um, which is not it really... seems that way because it seems like you're with characters that are with other characters and when they leave they come back and suddenly they're turned to dust. Yeah, yeah. So and like the 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 moments in which the story describes their thoughts while they're dying, it makes it seem to me that this creature kind of approaches them, sneaks up of some kind and then they can't see it coming because it disrupts their field of in of view in the force and like then a, like a tiger or a cougar or yeah, some sort of and then creature. it must make some sort of contact of some kind I assume either a scratch or a bite or a prick or a stab or whatever with something uh, that basically makes that event happen that they turn to ash because it, it, for me it's difficult to assume that anyone turns to ash just based on like fear alone right like that was kind of it's kind like of strange. a like some sort of like sucking of force energy out of them yeah I don't really know right like like I guess is it like is it killing the millichlorians in their bodies that they just kind of die or I but like why like why machine. ash right like why ash I think it'd be like the Ghostbusters ghost capture machine yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just want to throw that out there. Like, 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 how come no one's sensing the deaths or the, like the lack of of presence that they're no longer around, right? Because like, even though they might not be able to sense the killing of this person, Obi Wan still has that feeling that when all these people get blown up on Alderaan, it's like it's not like he's thinking of all these people. Like, these are people that are close to other people on the station, like floors away. You know, like, how come no one senses the absence of this person in the Force Lost anymore? Lost in the chaos, maybe? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, it's it's just that weird stuff that's, like, you could, even in the Clone Wars, like, when the Jedi are so blinded by the dark side and they can't, like, quite use the Force the way that they used to to, like, see things, um, they don't know that Palpatine is Sidious, and it's like, okay, the Force is blinding, the dark side's blinding them, I get it. Uh, they can still sense, like, when someone dies a million miles away in space on another planet, as right? As you see with Yoda. Yeah, like, Yoda knows what's happening when Order 66 goes down. As dark kind of event that is, you know, and, like, the dark side's blinded them to certain things. He can still feel that. And it just makes me wonder, like, um, during the Light of the Jedi, like, during the, the, the great disaster that happened in that book, they still sensed the feeling that people would be you know, dying kind of here and there and like whatever. And I just, I had a hard time kind of accepting that multiple Jedi kind of just die in this book and no one knows about it until they find the remains. And that to me was like one of the weirdest parts of this creature that kind of goes around killing all these Jedi is like, like how come no one senses this stuff? This you know? sounds like something you should tweet at Claudia Gray asking. It's a question for Pablo. Do that too. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so um, there was uh, something else about these creatures. Um, one of the characters explains that in their head, they keep hearing a um, uh, like a, a, a select set of words, uh, and it's uh, Shri Ka Rai Ka Rai. 
that's like the it's like it kind of reminded me of some sort of level of Sanskrit, um, kind of like dual of fates, like what we hear in that song. Um, and I just highlighted one of the words. I don't know what the rest of it says, but um, Shri is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as an Indian word um, to describe uh, a god or a sacred book. And so I don't really know. Like this must play into kind of like what this creature is like ancient wise. It's described as an ancient character of some kind. Um, but I was like, oh, I kind of like the idea that this is like a really like the one thing I like about it is that they're really tapping into that kind of ancient old Republic, old Sith, Sithy kind of like weird stuff. Right. Mm. And that was like what I, I liked about Sith it. Sith created creatures, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, you know, and like we know that the Drengir were unleashed originally by the Sith by mistake. Right. And then they put them back until the Jedi uh, accidentally Under removed their force, like sorcery statues or whatever, and released the Drengir again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it, it's possible they could be kind of based on that. But I was like, oh, okay, well, that's the only thing we've got as a little kind of mental note as to what these things do before they kill someone. Like they end up hearing these voices in their head. Um, and it must be a way of how these creatures communicate um, in the force, I guess, like, cause they don't talk. So uh, here's something interesting. Droid pilots and crew are usually only used by criminals and smugglers. Uh, the very lowest of the low use them. Um, <laughs> uh, this is Markeon Rose kind of evil plan is like his ship is completely uh, by the end of this book dri- uh, driven and, piloted by droids and uh, part part of this the reasoning for that though is he's kind of like hitler and the fact that by the end he just didn't trust anybody right yeah so that's why he wanted all the droids yeah so that he'd have like complete control of what they were doing my first thoughts with that was it's probably easier to just pre-program a droid yeah uh, you know it, it makes sense it makes sense uh, what i thought was interesting though is that like it's perceived as kind of a low thing to do mm-hmm. and uh it's like i just look at like dooku and grievous people of like like i guess like people well dooku especially like you know he's got like a reputation to uphold like you're leading the army of droids like you know like i just thought like kind of takes away a little bit from where things eventually go but i guess the advancement of technology would kind of go there anyways so Maybe that's right. just a thing. Well, in the, this novel series, no, it was a previous one. In the second book of this series, there's a group of pirates that are all droids. Right. So, yeah, and, they, and they were kind of kooky and incompetent, so maybe that <laughs> plays into it. Yeah, maybe. Um, I got two more things, and then we can wrap it up here. Uh, Bell, one of the Jedi characters, he makes a bomb. And uh, I just thought to myself, I would love to see, like, because it's, it's kind of weird and interesting that a Jedi can make a bomb. Um, Anakin's got all these, like, tech skills, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, I would love to see a story in which they have Anakin make a bomb. Like, that would be really cool because it would make a lot of sense, right? Like, he's good with that kind of stuff. I would love to see him, like, disarm a bomb and not with the lightsaber, but, like, you know, with the with the mechanical skill that he has in a book or in, like, a... I don't know, like a Clone Wars episode or look, whatever. Like it would be, it would be interesting to see that. That's that's kind of just what I thought. I was like, oh, Jedi make bombs. Like that's that's kind of cool. Um, was there a reasoning behind it? Like I'm sure it was no, like not a, really a class in the Jedi Order. Yeah, I mean, like that's the thing, right? Like he's only got, only got the, all these abilities from having grown up on Tatooine because they don't teach that stuff for the Jedi with, with Anakin. But what about with Bell? I don't really know. Uh, I don't really know why Bell knows how to make a bomb. <laughs> Uh, but I just thought to myself as I was reading it, like, okay, well, everyone's got a hobby. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's like making explosives. Yeah, yeah, Jedi exactly, order. right? Yeah, we all need a hobby. Um, Man, talk about getting on a list. Right, yeah, but I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a little interesting story quip, I guess, that was like, oh, this is interesting. I wish I got to see Anakin do this. Sure. That's all I thought. You just, you just raised the question to me that it seems very strange. Yeah, it, it, also, it is also strange. It is also strange. <laughs> Uh, the last thing I have here is Coley Lynn. He's a character who's, uh, he's a pilot. He's on board the station when it's going down. He's the one that's freaking out. He was willing to kill people to try and survive. And, uh, what I put down as a note under that was there's always one, any, any crisis movie that you ever watch any, um, any, uh, a story in which, um, people are kind of in peril at all dying. And at the same time, they're all in a, in a, in a big crisis, right? There's always one person that's willing to like do whatever they can to like try and survive, even if it means like everyone else kind of dies. Right. Right. Um, Super selfish people. Yeah. Yeah. And I like they're determined to live. Exactly. And I like the fact that this was no different. Like we're looking at a a huge crisis going on. There is going to be someone like that on board who who naturally wants to just kind of survive at the expense of others. And um, it made sense to have a character like that. So, it, you know, it kind of covered that territory, mm-hmm. you know, within the story, which is good. Do you have any last minute things you want to bring up? I had one last clip for us to listen to. Cool. And it's because I thought it was just really ridiculous. So it is a scene where uh, Markion's having his final banquet after the success of destroying uh, the station. All right. And he's going. He's talking about all the delightful foods that he has here at his his banquet, and they're playing the most ridiculous music in the background. So I thought we could listen to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. And whose whereabouts were unknown, regardless. Roe understood his people needed to literally taste the victory over the Jedi, and what better way to mark this win forever with his name, his will, his. Intent. Thousands upon thousands of Nile had gathered together on the chosen planet's surface before Thea Fair signaled the droids that it was time to begin distributing the massive stores of food and intoxicants laid aside in preparation for this day. Wines and ales flowed like fountains. Tipyip and Gort were bought out steaming on long platters. It was opulent. It was decadent. It was the greatest victory celebration the Nile had ever known. Only one gathering would be even grander. The one Marquion Roe intended to hold as soon as the Jedi that's, had been crushed forever. That, that, that's no John Williams. Okay. No, no, it's not. I just thought it was so funny, though, because they're, they're, he's talking about all these, like, foods at his banquet for celebration there. Yeah. And then the music's just, like, it, it, it's almost like he's about to get into, like, this massive fight. Like, you're playing, like, a video game, and you're fighting, with the, like, the final boss. Yeah. And he's talking about, like tomatoes and turkeys yeah yeah it's that that is kind of funny it, like <laughs> it was just a really strange editing choice yeah it is. that was worth you know taking a listen to it is you almost expect it to be playing some sort of like darth plagacy like opera theater kind of music like the one the track that they always use from Re- revenge of the sith when a city is talking to anakin you know sure. they like always use eerie. that clip. yeah <laughs> you know, I, I can't do it. Yeah. My voice is all worn out now. Yeah, um, kind of like monk noises. Yeah, 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 exactly. Something like that. But no, that, that, that's cool. Thanks for sharing. 
okay, so let's let's give this book some Pablo points or poodoos, uh, and then I got a question to ask you. So um, I, I I think I'll give this like a uh, like a, a one one Pablo point. Um, it was good. I liked it. Uh, wasn't fabulous. Wasn't great. Um, definitely wrapped things up nicely, but uh, it wasn't terrible. That's fair. I would say it was a for me the like again as I just said at the beginning of this podcast the first, the second novel was just so hard to get through yeah that it elevated this one <laughs> and so and, and all the the characters dying really surprised me that, that kinda, was cool like, too that kept me really yeah. involved I don't know if I should be celebrating the fact that they're just killing off all the main characters and that's what makes it good it feels a little uh, <laughs> maybe I have the best perspective on this series but. Uh, I would say I was quite happy with it. Um, and I'd probably go as far as saying maybe like two and a third. I don't want. I definitely wouldn't go as far as a three. Two and a half feels like too much. So just maybe, maybe just maybe, just maybe, north maybe of two. Maybe two. Yeah. Well, two is still quite high. Let's go with two then. Two Pablo points. All right. So in, in case anyone doesn't know, we've explained this a lot of times, but our uh, Pablo points are our uh, Pablo Pudu system. It's a scale, of, with this. a scale of seven. <laughs> yeah, I should open with this. Scale of seven, uh, three Pablo Pudus is the worst. Uh, then there's two, then one Pablo Pudu. And then there's in the middle 50% of Bendu. And then we got the Pablo points range and the positive. So that's one Pablo point, two Pablo point, or three Pablo point. Three being like the absolute best, 100% A+. Plus. Uh, so I'd say one Pablo point's not, not you know, it's, it's north of a 50% pass. Uh, it's good, right? It's just a solid good, not a great, not a fantastic. It's just a good. Um, and, uh, you know, you're giving it two, so that's even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would definitely go as far as, as, like, getting close to that three range. Maybe two and a half would be too much, too. Maybe I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, like, two to, like, just south of that, maybe. Yeah. Kinda, okay, yeah. You know, I'm kind of looking at a percentage in my head. Yeah. Give it a, I don't know if we're allowed to say percentage, so. <laughs> I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's like, like, I, I, as far as like 1.75 points. Like se- 70 to 75 percent. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, right, sweet. Well, um, that is uh, Jedi: The Fallen Star in a nutshell. So, I mean, you know, we can uh, we can wrap it up here and segue into uh, very important, uh, well, very uh, very awesome little video here. Let's take a listen here. into the past with the Star Wars and Orbkey Retro Collection. The Death Star. The Millennium Falcon. Inspired by iconic ships in a galaxy far, far away. The TIE Fighter. And the X-Wing. Available now. Inspired by iconic ships. From the decade where it all began. Kenobi. And you're listening to Star Wars Escape Pod. Don't forget to leave a review that would make even Master Yoda proud. 
All right. So, um, I mean, Jedi Survivor has uh, come out. Uh, actually, well, well, real quick. I mean, uh, or like, yeah, let's talk about this Orbit key. Sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to uh, uh, glance over it. My brain. Yeah, my brain is ahead of my uh, my mouth. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, Orbit key. They just re- released this uh, this new uh, retro collection. Uh, we talked about Orbit key last year. Um, and, uh, you know, Kirk, Kirk, of course, works at Orbit key. He's been a good friend of ours uh, and uh, coming on the podcast all the time and uh you know these uh these new samples that he sent out are absolutely fabulous uh so if you're looking for a new gift you know to give you know father's day gift whatever uh you know who doesn't know somebody with like a whole massive jamble of keys on a key ring uh do them the favor you can get one of these and uh, we have one and they're great yeah (laughs) yeah they have uh, additional add-ons you get like a multi-tool which is very handy so I'm going to always open my beer wherever I am, if you have legal drinking age, uh, yep. as well as uh, there's a, a cutty bit and a little measuring thing. But for me, it's all about opening that beer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got a gold award from 2018. Uh, the company, it's climate neutral certified and uh, no key jingle or scratches in your pocket. And they, they all kind of stack in this nice little uh, containment sleeve. And uh, each orbit key holds seven keys, uh, two to seven keys. Um, and uh, it's got a flexible securing locking mechanism. Uh, carry your car. It's got an included D-ring on it, so you can carry your car fob with up to seven keys. And you can get the extension post as well, which I believe adds another four. Um, so every single Orbit key, uh, you know, they're based on either a character or a ship. Uh, this new retro series is based on ships. Uh, and, uh, you know, they come in this nice little sleeve box. Like, here, let's listen to this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Satisfying. Satisfying, satisfying, satisfying. Oh yeah. Okay, and then uh, gonna open this up. Oh. <laughs> Did oh, you play with sounds? Oh man. Oh man. Satisfying. <laughs> okay, listen. Let me take this out. <laughs> all right, all right. Listen to that. You got a nice little X-wing starfighter card here uh, with a readout. What's the X-wing? I'll read off what the X-wing says. So spoilers, if anyone wants to be surprised. Uh, no design better depicts the rebellious spirit demonstrated by x-wing pilots than this special edition key organizer with the rebellion orange leather band inspired by the rebel pilot uniforms and the silver hardware similar to the mechanical details of the ship itself this key organizer is built for anyone standing up for what they believe in across their own galaxy remember the excitement when you first witnessed star wars these retro styled key organizers infused with silhouettes of iconic star wars spaceships uh, or starship, sorry. Celebrate our fondness for a galaxy far, far away. Whether you bring a rebellious spirit to defend your galaxy or prefer the order and command of the of an empire, these key organizers will unlock your destiny throughout the galaxy. Honor the Force. Uh, so it's a collectible card that you're intended to keep, uh, along with a nice little booklet of how to how to install your keys. Uh, it has a little list of compatible. Uh, attachments that uh, kind of come from the website as well, and uh, you know they're uh, they're great. I mean, listen, listen to this. Listen to this leather. Oh man. Oh man. Okay. I yeah. So we recorded all of these sounds. I know, right? Uh, and then on the back side, it says from the Skywalker saga to the Mandalorian and beyond. The Star Wars galaxy is filled with these endless stories and timeless characters inspired by the iconic ships and rousing adventures 
These special edition key organizers are designed in Orbit Key's elegant and understated design language, the perfect gear to help you on your journey to unlock your destiny throughout the galaxy. Um, I'm going to put that back in the box there. And uh, I think, you know, may, stay tuned. May the 4th. Um, there you go. Uh, May 4th uh, is uh, is a great episode to tune in. We're going to do something uh, very, very shortly uh, for May, May 4th. And we'll probably set up a giveaway for one of these as well, uh, which is going to be... Uh, going to be pretty exciting we, we, we did a giveaway um, a couple months ago and uh you know went pretty well so i think we'll, ago, yeah. we'll do another one of these giveaways and uh see how well it goes uh so you know stay tuned to the podcast and uh, keep tuning in and check those links in the description uh we'll definitely put a link to this video yeah, uh, well, which well, our friend Ac- kirk made yeah. that video yeah so i was gonna say kirk actually directed the the trailer for these so yeah you know Maybe you already have a key organizer. Maybe it's just not the right time to purchase one. It's not really up to it. Maybe this is something going to do down the road. At least check out this trailer because it's a, it a really good job. Oh, yeah. I'm really yeah. impressed with what Kirk's work on it. Yeah. Like, it's very yeah. retro. It's made to feel like it's it was right out of the 1970s. Yep. It's a 4 by 3 ratio. It is a really impressive ad. Oh, so. yeah. Top of the line. Top and of I don't mean stuff. to say that just because we're not we're not like officially affiliated or anything. I actually just think it's a good video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we appreciate good, uh, uh, good cinematography. So, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and you know, that being said, uh, Orbit Key does not sponsor our podcast or anything. Uh, but, uh, they do us the favor of sending us these, uh, these free samples out. So, you know, we didn't pay for these, but, uh, but we do love them a lot and, uh, you know, it's worth, worth kind of talking about them. Uh, we were told by Kirk, uh, we don't need to talk about them. But we, we choose to do it anyways. That's true. <laughs> uh, because, uh, because we like them. You know what I like most about mine is like I can flip out whatever key I want and kind of just put it in the door and twist and turn. And it acts like an extended handle. Like a handle, yeah. To the key. I noticed that with mine as well. Yeah, and then you also don't get the jabbing of like all the other keys in your palm, nor do you get them scratching up your door because like yeah, that's, that's another issue that some people have. So, you know, there's more than one reason to have these Orbit keys. And, you know, we passed a few to the podcast crew out you know thanks to kirk and orbit key they, they've given us a few in the past and um everyone just loves them. like you know reed absolutely loves these he's about to order another one because uh um he's got too many keys yeah and it, even though he got he got his just uh just through through um through the samples that we got from orbit key does but reed, he was willing to buy one as well just because he's got so many keys he's got another he's got a whole a whole another set of keys he got and he wants a does orbit reed key to know that on. there's a pole extension he does, and he's got it on there. <laughs> he's got he's got that TM. many keys. <laughs> he's got that many keys. Uh, so you know, it's definitely worth um, worth checking these out. And uh, you know, stay tuned for May fourth. I don't know. Maybe there's going to be some sort of May fourth sale. Uh, as we don't know, we know if that's things. So don't quote us on that. Yeah. Right. We don't. Yeah. We don't. We don't know if there's if that's. Yeah. Exactly. That's not an actual like piece of news or anything like that. But I'm just speculating. Uh, May fourth is just a day for a lot of Star Wars sales. So just keep keep an eye out. Uh, follow Orbit Key on Twitter and Instagram, and you know you might see something. Again, that's me, zero percent confident about that, but Doesn't I know happen. for sure. Don't get mad at us. <laughs> I, I know for sure though that we will put together a giveaway, and if anything, if anything, uh, you have a shot at getting one for free from us, uh, from from or- Orbit Key. <laughs> and uh, so. whoever the, the lucky winner is will get to have a choice, if they want it at all, to have their personal Orbit Key. Hand signed by either Josh or Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If any, if anything, if you just want it as is, uh, we'll we'll just pass you one of our business cards <laughs> in the box uh, with a little thank you for being uh, such a loyal listener. 
which hopefully the winner of uh, the podcast giveaway actually does listen to the podcast because I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty sure when you run a giveaway, you just get a lot of people entering that don't listen to the podcast. Uh, but, you know, the idea, again, uh, we don't make any money off this podcast, so we, we love, but we do love to see it succeed. So just make sure, uh, you know, by doing us any favor at all, uh, put down a few stars in, in iTunes or Spotify, whatever you're listening on. Just make sure you got the five stars hit, hit off um, as long, along with a nice little kind few words. Uh, if you're listening in Podbean, you know, same deal, you know, leave a comment or, uh, or a review or whatever. And, uh, you know, we do love to see that kind of stuff. We share it around our group chat anytime anyone leaves, um, leaves a comment or a review. Uh, and it's always nice and encouraging to see and, you know, keeps us kind of motivated coming back each week. So uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, but that's all we got for um, Orbi Key, the retro collection. Go check it out. Links in the description. And let's segue into Jedi Survivor. fall to this unworthy machine of an empire. Hope may feel beyond her grasp. But I think we finally found somewhere the empire can't reach us. Imagine. No more looking over your shoulder. A place that's worth fighting for. No matter the cost. All right, yeah, so uh, that's uh, the trailer for Jedi Survivor. It uh, came out April 28th, 2023, and uh, naturally, I mean, uh, this is a spoiler-free review, so uh, no spoiler warning for this at all. Uh, this is just initial uh, launch news and uh, thoughts on, on the game as well as just a few initial reviews just to kind of get that Star Wars news out there, and then we're going to wrap it up for, the, for today. Um, but uh, in general, Star Wars Jedi Survivor received generally favorable reviews from professional critics. Uh, Metacritic PC score 78 out of 100, PS5 86 out of 100, and Xbox Series X and S 87 out of 100. Uh, score from IGN came in at 9 out of 10, uh, PC Gamer at 80 out of 100, and uh, my personal review of the game is actually 3 Pablo points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I almost said three out of ten. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's, that's right. uh, the it game no- is fantastic. Just really quick, initial things is 
The story takes place five years after the first game. So we're talking 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, the exact same year as Obi-Wan Kenobi takes place, right? Oh, um, yeah, okay. this is speculatory because I have not made it through the game far enough to, to confirm this. So again, no spoiler warning. Uh, but I thought it would be a good opportunity this game actually cross over with that show somehow in some minor way. Um, and I don't know if we'll see that or not, but it's be, possible. We'll end up on a, a Coruscant-ish planet and you'll see a robed man chasing after a girl through a crowd. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just, I don't know, I, I just, um, I, what I like about this game so much is it advances the lightsaber combat by a lot, and uh, you don't restart from ground zero again. Yeah, like, that's the coolest part. Yeah, all the skills that you learned as Cal Kestis in the first game pass over to this next game, and then you build on top of that, so you don't start as like a weakling yeah, in the second game. because I hate when games do that, it's like... And I feel like so many store games, that's what happened. They just have you start fresh, and then yep. they usually there's new things to learn, but you still have to reload everything from zero. It's like, why is my character who I was just playing suddenly have amnesia? Right. And if there's three games, like, three times in a row, he just time. loses all of his all of his gear and, like, all yeah. his training and knowledge. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of customization added to this game. The level design is based on next-gen consoles, so, of course, it's going to be way bigger and way more complex-looking and much uh, more detailed. Uh, this is available on PlayStation 5, Windows, Xbox Series X, and S, and is a single-player action-adventure game. Um, and uh, I would say, pacing-wise, story's amazing. So, um, How far in are you at this point? I am over 14% of the way through the game. Okay. So, like, I've got enough gameplay in that I kind of get the idea. So and you, it's... Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely... It's got more open-worldy aspects about it, then it is kind of more on the rails, which the first game, even though you could traverse a map and go back in areas and stuff, you can again in this area, but there's more than one thing to do now on... It's not as linear of a map. Yes. Yeah, it's not as like once you've kind of cleared it out, like, you know, done certain puzzles and access certain areas, like, you know, at least now you might have a reason to go back to some of these areas. And and there's side quests in this. In this one, there's side quests, whereas the first one, there wasn't. So it kind of combines like the first game with maybe more of like a, maybe more of like a witchery classic vibe. RPG, yeah, yeah, classic RPG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah. That's interesting because for this, I had heard. Oh, lost my train of thought. Uh, there was one review that came in that pitted it as the best Star Wars game in twenty years since Kotor. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because I know the bar already was super high because the first game was so good. Yeah. So for them to try to beat that was already a really high standard. Like how yeah. many sequels are just kind of... Absolutely. They yeah. try to push the envelope and then they can't deliver. And, you know, we will do a full spoiler story review down the road. Um, and Dan has expressed interest in coming back to chat about that. I know Nick is also keen to come on uh, as well as Kirk. So we'll have a bit of a party going and, uh, you know, do like a full kind of explanation of what happened in this story, you know, and, and, and just what we thought of the game as a full detailed kind of post looking back kind of way. We'll probably wait about two months uh, to do that because of course EA and Cameron Monaghan, the guy who plays Cal Kestis has said, do not spoil this game for people, you know, like please like do not spoil this game. Don't talk about it too early. Um, I know people have already binged all the way through it and there's stuff online about it. So just be careful what you Google. If you want to be surprised, just 
best suggestion is pick it up right now. Start playing it. If you haven't played the first one, do that. You know, do that first maybe. Um, it's also worth mentioning there's a novel that takes place between the events of these two games, and it's called Battle Scars. And I think it's a good book for us to kind of hit next. Um, I started it. I'm three minutes in. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That'll be our next book review. Um, but you got something to read out, uh, which is a notice. This is the one downside. Well, um, I wanted to talk a bit about the game before we get into that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So I had heard this doesn't uh, really affect the story of what's going to happen. So I want I want to ask you about it. So I had heard that the as opposed to the first game, the really like pulling back on fighting the empire, and this is more you're fighting more like independent. Yeah. Like, so uh, it's it's definitely. Warmongers. I don't know the name. Yeah, and yeah, and like I'm trying to kind of do this in a way that it's spoiler free, but um, as we've seen, I'll I'll, I'll talk about s- stuff that's shown up in the trailers just just to kind of. Yeah, I'd stick to you that. Know, I'll stick to the trailer content. Um, there is High Republic involvement in this game, um, which is ironic. because, And this is part of the reason why we're talking about this after our High Republic book review, because uh, there is a character in the game that pops up that is completely non-imperial. He's actually a Jedi from the High Republic era that's kind of, kind of frozen... I guess he's uh, frozen in time in a back to tank or something. I don't know. Like, again, this is completely speculatory... But from the trailer, he's wearing High Republic robes. Okay. And uh, and he seems to be a Force-using Jedi. Um, That's really strange, because I know one of the villains we see in the trailer is, yeah. again, speculation. He looks like he is from, like, the... the or yeah, night, like the old Republic. I don't yeah, know. so so yeah, you're talking about the pale guy, right? Yeah, the, yeah. So he's High Republic Jedi. Oh, that, oh that's what yeah. you're talking. Yeah, about. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and uh, the big dude in the armor. That's what I was from the trailer. Sorry, exactly. He's the same species as Dirge, Dirge the yeah. bounty hunter, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so he leads like a pirate um, kind of group on a on a planet somewhere. So you're right. Like there is a lot more, uh, I guess, like or less uh, imperial involvement. Like in this game, uh, mm-hmm. it does kick off uh, with some imperial involvement, but like uh, I'm not going to get into it now. But like it, you know, it, it is it is the story is kind of not trying to repeat the first game, right? You know, in that sense. Um, I've also uh, kind of come to a point to, of understanding of to, like that it does still have the same Tomb Raidery vibe to the story like there's still a lot like of they're very leaning cool more into that in the first game yeah yeah it, and, and it's and it's um that being said it's very much more kind of high republic kind of looking back at that era Interesting, yeah. so it's very cool it's very cool anyone who is going to play this game might now find some fascination in in reading the high republic books just because the it is so closely mm-hmm. connected right um but then on top of that i mean we've had maybe we've had very few um, book or sorry, we've had very few games and media that aren't books in the High Republic. You know, something I mentioned earlier. Uh, Tales from the Galaxy's Edge had the VR game that had like a few uh, like a VR, a VR experience, which takes place during the High Republic. So that was that was really cool. And uh, I think other than that, though, there's really not a whole lot. We're supposed no. to get that Eclipse game at some point. Oh right, and that's got a really cool trailer. Um, but didn't they say that's like in 10 years. Yeah, they said it was like a ways <laughs> away. And I'm like, okay, well, 
eventually. I'll get I guess. it for my forty my fortieth birthday. Yeah, yeah. It was like gonna be like six or seven years before we get that game. So you know, they spent all the dev into the trailer and <laughs> none yeah. of the game. So uh but yeah, I mean, you know, we don't have a whole lot of games or we don't have a whole lot of like, you know, visual content other than comic books and the novels that really kind of describe what this era looks like. Uh, and I think it's very cool that a game like this ha- takes the opportunity, you know, with its kind of Tomb Raider, Indiana Jones elements to explore that from a from a looking back perspective, right? Because Cal has these abilities that allow him to see things through the Force, and and it, you know, it's just a very good opportunity for them to use to kind of approach this era That's a good point. Um, without making a dedicated game that takes place in it. Uh, so very you know it's awesome and that's the best spoiler free way i can possibly put it uh but um so far it's looking good you pre-rated it we'll see i've pre-rated it (laughs) i I will let you know if the rating changes but at the moment i'm just giving it a three pablo points you know it's sitting sitting above the 86 percent for an a so uh yeah for me it's a three pablo points yeah okay that's exciting initial initial review again spoiler free initial review We'll, we'll do a full review down the road in a month or two. And we'll see just how we managed to transition from three Pablo points to three Pablo Poodoos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full 360. Um, we did have a warning that's worth putting out in regards to this game, though. So it appears that this game was originally created for console and then ported over to PC. Yeah. As there's a, uh, been a lot of reports of... It was built on the PlayStation 5 platform, optimized for PS5. There we go. Um, and not really further optimized for anything else that that much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it seems that the PC port may not have been as smooth as they had hoped. It's not as stable, yeah. So a lot yeah. of people are having pretty massive issues to the point where the game is unplayable. And this is completely uh, um, unhardware related. Uh, sorry, un- like limitation-wise on hardware related. It's still a hardware thing for like CPUs with, with that are built on the Windows 11 platform, but they're running Windows 10, and then it's causing some issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, like if you have like a 4090 graphics card, people are still having problems because it's, it's not actually the limitation of that graphics card rather than like the actual port of the game is just really buggy. Yeah, and so. as you're saying, it seems to be something to do with Windows 10 and Windows 11. Yeah, that's that's the biggest that's the biggest problem. Yeah. So EA actually put out a uh, kind of like a warning, whatever, on their Twitter. So feel free to look that up. I'm going to read it up here. Um, okay. So we are aware that Star Wars Jedi Survivor isn't performing to our standards for a percentage of PC players, in particular those with high-end machines or certain specific configurations. For example, players using cutting-edge multi-threaded chipsets designed for Windows 11 were encountering problems on Windows 10, or a high-end GPU coupled with lower-performing CPUs also saw unexpected frame loss. Rest assured, we are working to address these cases quickly. While there is no single comprehensive solution for PC performance, the team has been working on fixes and believe uh, will improve performance across the spectrum of configurations. We are committed to fixing these issues as soon as possible, but each patch requires significant testing to ensure we don't introduce new problems. Thanks for understanding and apologies uh, to any of our players experiencing these issues. We will continue to monitor performance across all platforms and share update timing as soon as, as it is available. The Star Wars Jedi team. 
So thankfully, I've been okay. Um, maybe I just lucked you're out. You're on but PC. I'm on PC. Um, I'm playing with a very new piece of hardware. I, uh, it's an upgraded computer. It's like a it's a brand new, fresh build. Uh, running a 4080 graphics card with um, with a 13th 13th gen Intel i7, uh, running on Windows 11 platform. So like the compatibility is as good as it can possibly get on my end. And it's been okay. Like it's been, they, there's still been some frame drop areas here and there, yeah. but it's rare. Because that seems to be the main issue. Some people yeah. are dropping down to like six frames a second. The Xbox has a, a, like a, a flat out like 12 to 14 frames per second drop across the board, um, which is weird because the Xbox has uh, got it's, it, it's more. End. It's a more powerful console. Yeah, yeah, and that's just you know that's that's not um, like that. If you d- take it down to the hardware, like that's just fact. Uh, but because the game was built for PlayStation, it's been optimized for that platform and then ported, right? So Xbox is suffering, PC suffering. Technically, PC version should blow it out of the water with the uncapped frame rate. But, you know, again, people are having problems because of all these it, other issues. I see that's the so. issue. They uncapped it in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, Bryce is having issues. Like, he bought the game oh, okay. and he, right away, you know, issues. AJ is having issues. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it really depends on, like, you know, what's your hardware configuration? What's your operating system at? Um, they just, uh, the game was delayed originally to this date because of some polishing that they had to do. And I think, again, of course, there's a group of people that are always affected by, by these problems. But I'm glad that it hasn't affected the reviews of the game because that can sometimes rip a game down to shreds. Like mm. that happened with Arkham Knight when that came out or Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk as well oh, was, that a, big was a big one. one yeah. yeah, so I, like it, it, like it can affect the launch of the game, and I just hope that this doesn't destroy the game's reputation. So you know, anyone who bought it, like don't don't be discouraged. Like they will patch it, they will update it, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate that they don't have a rough ETA. It seems to be completely up in the air at this point. Yeah, I imagine that they are in overtime, just kind of. Oh yeah, hammering hammering out something, you know. Yeah, yeah. they're planning on drinking beers and cheersing and all the success, and instead yeah. they're still working overtime. Oh yeah, it's yeah. slammed. It's a video game <laughs> life for you. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, a question for you then. Yeah. Would, would you say, let's say you're uh, you wanted to play the game on PC, but you have a PlayStation, would you a get the PC game and risk it? B hold off until they fix it, or C by the bullet, by the PC, by the uh, PlayStation version. I would say if you have a PlayStation or a PC, um, get the get the PlayStation version. If you don't have a gaming setup that's kind of made for like 4K uncapped frame rate gaming at this next generation level, like if you've got a medium tier uh, gaming computer, get the PlayStation Five version. You're not going to run into any problems on that one. Um, also, that game has been kind of kind of built to utilize the the dual sense controller so you get that really cool force feedback in the triggers and uh you know the reasons that make that controller kind of cool uh this game is going to utilize that to the max so yeah because it's an action adventure i play on pc but i play with a controller anyway so like i would say at this point in time if you haven't bought a copy but you know you're ready for it you know you've played through the first one you've I mean, maybe you've read the book as well who knows you're, you're like just like i'm gonna get this copy but i want pc or playstation uh maybe just get the playstation it, you know unless you're running like a top tier gaming rig that's the only option you have uh then of course get it if hopefully you're running good enough hardware to do it and if not you know just be patient uh they'll come out with a fix in probably you know a couple of days or a week or whatever or a month yeah <laughs> it won't be long it won't be long 
but that's all we got for today. Uh, not a crazy supersized episode, but uh, we, we're hitting it on the longer run. So we're going to wrap it up here. Um, but yeah, what do we got next? Uh, real quick. I mean, uh, Rebels we, Rebels talk. Yeah, we're about to bite the bullet and get into some Rebels. And yeah. I guess we're going to have to look at whatever the release date is for Ahsoka and try to hammer it out by then. Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, yeah, you guys, we're going to be kicking off our Rebels talk series. This was a series that originally... Uh, we were going to do uh, two years ago uh, with Diego, <laughs> who did Clone Wars Talk, and uh, never got around to it. We did a first episode and then and then ended up not following up, so we removed it from the uh, from our list and so on and so forth. So here we go. Here we go again. We're going to kick things off with a first episode of Rebels Talk, just like we did with Clone Wars Talk, and keep going from there. Uh, we're super excited about it, so make sure you come back on the podcast for that, as well as our upcoming May 4th episode, which we will get out this week. Um Thank you again, Blake, for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. We'll see you all next time. And may the force be with you.